Take it to a cause, good days to you, I'll tell Of how the good old union is coming here to dwell Tell me which side are you on? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boy? Hello! Hopefully everybody can hear me and see me, and if that's happening, we're off to a good start. I'm Laura Smith, and I'm pleased to be part of this event tonight. We're bringing people together uh, to discuss the deepening cost of living emergency. Not the most positive of topics, but we're all living through it at the moment, and we're going to be looking specifically at what those socialist economic alternatives are because lord there has got to be some sort of alternative please now our topic today is socialist economic policies explained the alternative to never-ending cuts and the event is as all of you will know part of the arise festival and it's supported by the socialist campaign group of mps in parliament and the labor assembly against austerity I'm really pleased to say that we've got hundreds of people who have registered in advance of this event and hundreds more will be joining us on social media. So hello and thank you for giving us your time today. Now, this event, as I've kind of just said, it couldn't come at a more vital time with the economic outlook looking so bleak, tragically, for millions and millions of people. And unfortunately, I'd like to say we had happier news, but it is set to get much bleaker. In fact, anybody who tunes into the news at the moment, I have sort of a two minute record currently of being able to stomach listening to it because it's so bleak. Now, the cost of living crisis, it's deepening by the day. But the Tories, they're more interested, as we know, same old Tories in corporate profits. They're not bothered about our communities, about our jobs, about our livelihoods. And we need to look not only at the extent of this crisis, but what can be done to resist it and what those economic alternatives are and how we can make sure that people are put before profit. The Tories, as I say, they are the same old nasty party. We've got Hunt and we've got Sunak and they seem absolutely committed to a never ending regime of austerity. We've had 13 years of austerity. And despite the financial crisis, the incomes of those who are working at the top, especially in private finance, it soared. There are some people who are getting richer and richer, whilst the rest of us are pushed down and suffering. Now, they use the pandemic for, uh, to further reduce and uh, restructure the economy. They've used it as a, a it was a great excuse to some of them. And they've done that in the interest of the super rich. And they've done that whilst attacking, blatantly attacking our right to resist what they are doing. And now an even bigger class war that is being struck from this ruling elite. And we need to make sure that us, the overwhelming majority, are coming together and saying that we're not going to put up with it. Now, we're at this crossroads. It's, uh, it comes to our economy and it comes to society and it's going to come down to us to be able to paint the picture of what that alternative can look like. And unfortunately, I'd like to be able to say, uh, say different, but Labour's response to this crisis and some of the U-turns that we're seeing on policies are of growing concern because at this point, we must not be watering anything down 
we should not be abandoning pledges if anything we need to be more radical than ever before because that is the only thing that is going to fix this problem now we're here today not only to say um, that we mustn't let any of these people get away with it and to come together and have that solidarity, but also to say that there is this alternative. This isn't an inevitability. We could do things differently if the political willpower was there and we can put people before corporate greed. And we need to put forward today and hopefully explain, I'm really excited to hear from our speakers, how we can reconstruct and rebalance the economy and transform it so that it's serving the public and not those the, the corporate uh, the corporate world that we're all so used to uh, getting away with all kinds of awful things. And this means we need to be extending public ownership. We need a socialist Green New Deal more than ever. We need real, true action for equality. We need to be taxing the rich. We need full employment, good jobs, and much, much, much more besides. And it actually means investing in our future, which is not only necessary for people and the planet, but it would also pay for itself. Shrinking, a shrinking this um, and is, is not going to live up. It's not going to solve this tragedy that we are facing and that so many people within our country are. We need to take back control of this economic system uh, because, let's face it, it has been failing millions for a very long time. Now, as this session goes on, please, please post questions in the comments below and um, in the stream on YouTube and in the Q&A section on Zoom. And we will put those to the panel throughout. And please also tell us where you are tuning in from and what key policies you believe should be part of this uh, this left economic alternative. We really want to hear from you. And let me think, have I forgotten any more housekeeping rules? Because these are the things that I usually do. Yes, I have. Please also donate to the link provided so that Arise can continue hosting these important events. In a world where we are having our voices stifled, they are more important than ever. And also make sure that you're supporting other campaigns and follow all the links that are going to be put in the chat throughout the event. And share, share, share if you are more tech savvy than me on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. And make sure that people are tuning in. So before we get started, I'd like to also encourage you to book your festival ticket, which provides the funding that we need to keep these key events going. And it means that uh, you will be able to get really involved, really interactive with this month long programme. Right, I am crossing my fingers that I've said all of the bits that I was supposed to on the housekeeping. And so let's move on to our fantastic speakers who we have today. And we couldn't have a better lineup to talk to us about these themes. And I'm really excited and looking forward and I'm ready to be inspired by what they have to say. Our speakers, um, going to speak for about eight minutes i'm trying to think like the best way of telling them when time's up so just keep one eye on me and i might be like waving my arms or doing something just to sort of say come on uh, we're getting to the end of it and then hopefully we will get plenty of opportunity for the questions so without further ado we're going to get started and we're going to kick off with Oslem Anaram, Professor of Economics at the University of Greenwich. So over to you. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Laura. That's all music to my ears. Uh, great to have counselors like that and great to meet uh, all the activists. I prepared 
a few slides to share with you. And this is exactly where I am. I'm at Greenwich at the moment. Hope to have you all here at another uh, Arise or Progressive Economy uh, Forum uh, conference at some other time. Um, I'll uh, go over the big picture uh, in terms of how we can get out of this uh, dystopian science fiction that we are living in and uh, move forward to a green, caring, just transition. What are the policies to do that? And I'm a yes, we can and we should kind of economist in the sense that uh, there are policies to get out of this dystopian uh, current situation and we should move uh, very quick and very big uh, about that. Uh, if I may go beyond the British uh, conservative political chaos and just look at the big picture. Um, we are living through multiple crises. And if you think about it, they would make a perfect movie set for a dystopian sci-fi movie. The bad news is it's happening now. It's not a film. Um, we are in the middle of an environmental breakdown. We are going through a care crisis that is deepening in an aging society uh, by the year. We are having multiple inequalities from class to race and gender that is deepening every day. And this is happening in the context of also a new kind of technological change with artificial intelligence. I should say this time it's different in the sense of the need for policies to make sure that technological progress and all the good things that can come with it doesn't come at the risk of increasing, deepening inequalities further and job losses. So something had to be said and done about that as well, otherwise in the wrong hands. And this is part of the uh, big time bomb risk as well. On top of this big picture, since last year, we are uh, living through now war in Europe, deepening with Russia's next stage after 2014, the next stage of invasion of Ukraine. And of course, all these are intermingling with each other. That is uh, deepening the need for energy sovereignty, independence from fossil fuels, that of course uh, has created a totally new wave of cost of living crisis. And no matter what happens to inflation, that cost of living crisis is very deep and is not going away for the majority of the working people in terms of food crisis and uh, more problems to come that I will talk about later in terms of dealing with debt um, in the face of high interest rates. So all these crises are interlinked and neither can be solved alone in isolation. Is there a way out of that? Well, yes, there is a progressive way. Um, that is what I call the green caring just transition. Uh, I have the color coding here. Um, this is uh, very much in line with what Laura called the socialist green new deal. Uh, the beauty of what I'm trying to do with this color coding is to bring together what we learn from uh, climate activists, uh, feminist activists, and of course, uh, centuries long labor movements uh, heritage. And just for a moment, if we think how that progressive way could look like, I like calling it a totally new paradigm. So imagine 
sit back for a moment, imagine there is no conservative government, and imagine Rachel Reeves is not buying into conservatism in small c in terms of fiscal conservatism and thinking that uh, or we need a fiscal credibility rule. Imagine we start thinking very different and start asking what are the needs of the society? So what policies do we need to address these needs? So a little bit of my take on the idea of to everyone according to their needs. So let's look at the needs of the society and let's deliver them. So questions here should be questions like what should be the ideal public debt to GDP ratio or budget deficit. No, we have to ask questions like this. How much investment do we need every year in the next 10 years, two terms of a Labour government in the green economy, such that we uh, accelerate the transition to a net zero carbon economy? Other questions for me, the care crisis means we have to ask questions like how many care workers are we uh, going to employ new care workers to meet the demographic needs of this society? And how are we going to decently, adequately value their contribution? All those care workers in healthcare, social care, education or child care that we have clapped as key workers who are undervalued. So how many workers with really decent wages? How much does it cost? You will have a longer list of questions. Um, and then the question we will ask is, what are the tools that are in our toolkit? We should use all of them, mobilize everything. It's a war. It's we're trying to tackle these very deeply intermingled multiple crises. And we need to use all the means of funding. The, the tools we have range from fiscal policy to monetary policy, industrial policy, labor market and social policies. And we need to make sure they talk to each other. And we need to make sure that it's not just about one year. It's not just about four, four years. It's about long run thinking. Having said that, obviously, there is short run emergencies that we need to deal with today in the first month, first hundred days. Uh, or now as activists, making sure that we uh, hold the government to account. But we need to think uh, long run and have adequate policies in place for five years, 10, 10 years. And this is not um, rocket science. This is not utopian. So what I want to say, well, there is a progressive way for green, caring, just transition. Starting with the short-term emergency, living in the tick of the cost of living prices for many working class people, we need to today arrest that cost of living crisis. The way to do that in the very short run is to go for price controls. That's how you deal with short run shocks like we have experienced with the war or the pandemic and the supply chain bottlenecks afterwards. And this is also how to deal with the second phase of inflation with greedflation, as we call it, or the increase in the profit margins of uh, the firms. So how do we deal with the profiteering-led cost of living crisis? Well, you control key prices. Of course, one of them is the energy price. Britain did a half-hearted way of that. If we just look not too far away, not utopia, just across the channel in France, they acted much earlier, directly limited electricity price increases to 4%. They froze domestic gas prices. 
And guess what? They have much lower inflation than Britain of about uh, 6% as opposed to what we have aging still around 9%. The second key item to control in terms of prices would have been rent. The Tories have half-heartedly had some caps on the increase of social rents. We should talk about price control on all the rents and not just uh, social rents. And the thing that was a anathema, a dogma last year when we were talking about these is the f- essential food items because food inflation is about 20%. And actually today, even the Tories know that they got to do something about this. They are talking to the um, uh, supermarkets. Well, talking is good, but control is better. And it should have started much better. Again, actually, France is moving much more serious around that too now. Uh, Obviously, then in the short run, we have to talk about regulations, windfall tax, such that we limit and arrest that profiteering with the rise in the markups of uh, large, powerful firms. Uh, But we need to also ban speculation in commodity markets. World food prices are falling, uh, but actually a lot of the increase in the past was very much driven by speculation in commodity markets. And energy prices are also driven by partly speculation in commodity prices. The other short-term measures for me is thinking very clearly about how to limit household debt and particularly avoid any evictions or uh, banning um, disconnections or installment of prepaid meters. Of course, moving a little bit beyond the short run, it's about really giving workers the bargaining power using all the policies we now are very effective, such that we reverse all the squeeze in wages, particularly on low incomes. That's about increasing public sector pay, uh, increasing the minimum wage, Uh, We were last year talking about a proposal for a £15 per hour minimum wage. With inflation, we have to probably look at that again. It's about strengthening the trade unions and collective bargaining institutions. Um, And of course, all these might not be that easy for some of the small firms at the very bottom of the firm distribution who are themselves squeezed with the increase in inflation. So we need to also think how we can reactivate short-time work arrangements such that we make sure that this doesn't come at the cost of uh, firms shutting down and increasing unemployment. But most importantly, you tackle these multiple crises moving medium run. And the key there is public investment. This is how you can make sure that all the price controls I have just advocated doesn't lead to shortages or long-term need for rationing. If we are controlling rents, we have to build more of our own social housing. If we are controlling energy prices, we need to build our own publicly owned renewable energy. I use publicly owned here in a broad sense that it can be central government, local government, or cooperatives. So we need public investment at a massive scale and very urgent and that is covering renewable energy, energy efficiency, public transport, but also facilitating organic agriculture, forestry, and moving further with circular economy. For me, a needs-based policy has to also avoid competition between needs. If we are clear about the 
demographic challenge in an aging society about the care needs, we need also public investment for universal basic services provision by the public sector in the care economy. So the feminist color purple investment in the care infrastructure that is hiring more teachers, for more nursery teachers, more um, nurses, doctors, and social care workers, investing in the care economy. One, one minute yeah. now, Austin. Thank Wonderful. You. <laughs> That's all I need. Of course, there is other infrastructure ranging from social housing to all the buildings we need for the care economy. And these are complementary. Uh, and other policies like shorter working hours are complementary to these as well. And all these need to be embedded in a democratic participatory plan, at least spanning over the key sectors. We are always asked, how do we find fund it? There is money. The good news is if the public sector invests, that creates more employment, more income in the economy, and thereby, even without you increasing any tax right, it creates more tax revenues. And the effect of that, the so-called multiplier effect of public investment is very high. But we need to use all the tools because the investment needs we have is huge and urgent. We need to tap into progressive taxation of not just income, but also wealth. We have looked at taxing the top 1%, how much income we can generate with that in in terms of tax revenues. Well, the good news is there's about 75 billion pounds. That's about 20% of our current tax revenues. Of course, in the very short run, we will need to borrow a lot uh, because even the wealth taxation with all its income generating uh, potential will need time to establish, whereas you need to start spending in your day one as the government. And we need to redefine what is the good areas of investment. So we need to redefine what we understand from infrastructure. It isn't just the green renewable energy infrastructure. It is also the care economy infrastructure. So hiring more nurses, nursery teachers, care workers is also infrastructure. Then it makes it a lot more credible when you borrow for what we think to be just current spending. Labour Party had a good proposal in the previous manifesto about a national investment bank. Um, I'm not going to go into detail of that. But last point, we need to use our monetary policy. That is what the Bank of England is doing much more creatively to make sure that it accommodates what the government is doing in terms of public investment. Uh, Targeting not just inflation, but also full employment with good jobs. That would require, if need be, Bank of England buying government bonds directly from the government. Um, I would propose to put a lot higher weight on full employment than inflation. I would propose having a not as low as 2% an inflation target, but a target that is consistent with full employment and inflation uh, investment needs. That's for me about 4 or 5% inflation target. But most importantly, monetary policy should be accommodating what government investment policy, fiscal policy is doing. We have cracked the numbers for you. So all these actually would work. But I'll just add by saying there is a way. Well, this is the way. And this is the only way. This is our last best chance for peace.
Thank you very much, Laura, for your generosity. No, thank you so much. And I, uh, the bit I hate about chairing is I could listen to to the solutions all day. So I wish we had more time. Um, So thank you. And I totally agree with what you were saying. And one thing that really struck me was when you just said, yes, we can. And yes, we should. And that these, we're not asking for the world, are we? And imagine if we could just look at what a society needs and kind of, make things work for them wouldn't that be wonderful without being told that we're being uh, ridiculously radical by by even daring to suggest it look thank you so much um and thank you guys we've got over 300 people who have joined us i've got a little list of where you're all from so we've got people from north london leeds edinburgh nottingham wales woking Loxheath, birmingham chesterfield ireland portsmouth paisley stroud durham berry street st edmunds birkenhead southampton and of course me and crew so uh we've got a nice mix all across the all across the country keep your questions and things coming in i'm going to just pass really quickly over to you uh patrick foley to uh tell us a little bit about arise and the marvelous work that you all do Thank you, Laura. And thanks for sharing great stuff so far. I just wanted to take a few minutes, one, just to thank everyone for getting involved in Arise over the month. It's really been quite an inspiring people-powered political festival. We've had, I think, thousands join in all our sessions across the month and, you know, tackling a, a really crucial range of issues for the left, including economic policies and tackling the crisis like today, but also, you know, defending Labour Party democracy and even some more discursive ones on things like Ireland. And, and Marx and Engels, you know, and it's, it's been it's been really it's been really inspiring just to see so many people take part across all of our sessions. And I've just had a message from Kirsty in the Q and A saying that she's a monthly donator, so thank you, Kirsty. But I would like to implore everyone who's on the call today to donate ten pounds or whatever they can afford to Arise, just so we can keep putting on events like this and keep building our platform for left voices and socialist voices and international solidarity movements, just so we can keep building our platform keep it giving people these these crucial spaces to, to fight for policies like the ones we're hearing about today from Muslim and others I'd also like to tell you about a few upcoming events that we have some some major events that arise we, we've got one just uh one week left to go so on Monday we have a world to win which is with Jeremy Corbyn and global guests and we're going to be hearing from international guests, including Aline Piva from Progressive International, Walter Bayer, who's the president of the Party of the European Left, Gabriel Rodriguez, who's from the International Transport Workers Federation, Francesca Emmanuel, a Peruvian democracy campaigner, and also from the fantastic organization, the Centre for Economic and Policy Research. And we got, and more than that. So please do come along to that. That's this Monday, June 26th, kicking off at 6.30 p.m., just like tonight. Uh, you'll see a link line in the chat, so just make sure to register that. You can watch it on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere you're, you're watching to, you're watching and tuning in from today. And I'd also like to invite you all to our closing rally, which is next Wednesday, and is being held with Young Labour's Socialist Futures. Uh, and we've got a, a fantastic range of speakers from across the movement. We've got Becky Long Bailey MP, Jess Barnard, who's a brilliant voice for members' uh, rights on the NEC at the moment. A very difficult job she's doing there. We've got John McDonnell, we've got Beth Winter, who's had who's faced um, a really tough selection battle, you know, and, and, and some serious questions raised about the democratic processes involved in that. So we're really looking forward to hearing her. We've got NHS campaigners, we've got leading trade unionists. Uh, so just please do take a look there. You can register in the link that's just been posted. Um, and it'd be fantastic to have all of you on this call join and more. 
that's next Wednesday. I'd also like you to just quickly say, if you don't follow us online already, please do follow Arise Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We've got a podcast now, the YouTube channel, which I know a lot of people tune in from. So yeah, just get stuck in, help us share our messages. If you miss any, we've got them all available to watch back share them get them out there there's some fantastic stuff that shouldn't just be kept to this month alone you know a lot of this content is really good and really informative and finally i'd just like to end on one final plug to donate please just take two minutes it really really makes a huge difference and with thousands of you getting involved we want to do more we want to do more and we can't do that without you without a little bit of support so yeah please donate thank you so much for being here and back to you laura Thank you, Patrick. And thanks again for the work that you do. Um, goodness, we need left voices out there, don't we? So now more than ever, we're not going to hide away. We are still here. We're more popular than they say that we are and we'll keep on going. So well done, guys. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over to you, um, Kat. So Kat Hobbs from We Own It. For those of you who don't know about uh, We Own It, they are just a campaigning force against privatisation. I'm not going to waffle on, Kat, I'm going to hand over straight to you. And like I said, if you see me doing this, it's... <laughs> okay, oh, do, do cut in if I go over, Laura. Thank you. No problem. Um, and thanks to the whole Arise team for organising this and um, Labour Assembly Against Austerity. Really great to be here. And it's really important to have this kind of platform for us to be able to talk about the solutions. And thanks to everybody for being here on a Tuesday night and, and being positive. Um, so I'm the director of We Own It. We campaign for public ownership. Um, and I want to talk a bit about that, focus on that. So um, as we've touched on, we're suffering because of cuts, because of ideological privatisation. Um, and we campaign for policies that are totally normal in other countries um, and that work really well. So we talk about uh, key public services, and I'm sure lots of you will know, we need to bring public services into public ownership for two main reasons. One, so we can reinvest profits. And secondly, so that we can have more accountability, more say over services that affect our lives. And whatever they may tell you, these policies are really, really popular in this, in this country that, that keeps voting conservative. So the, from uh, the conservative voters from the last election, um, support public ownership. So 68% of them want public ownership of water, it's 62% for energy, 58% for buses, 77% for NHS, 63% for rail and Royal Mail. That's conservative voters. This isn't a radical idea. And also if you look at the vote, the top concerns that people have right now in this cost of living crisis, it's NHS and NHS waiting lists and will there be an ambulance if I call 999? It's cost of living, a big part of which is energy bills. Um, and as well as the economy, it's also the environment. And we saw in the local elections that sewage in our rivers and seas is a big issue, which of course is also a public ownership issue. So I want to talk, I want to focus on three of those areas. And I'm gonna talk about what you can do about it as well. I'm sure we've got lots of campaigners on the call, um, but I'll give a shout out to some of the people working in this space and what we're doing as well at We Own It. So on the NHS, we know that 13 years ago, our NHS was the best healthcare system in the world. And now we've had years of austerity, years of cuts and underfunding, and also opening it up to the market. Um, and now we've got terrible statistics where, you know, 120 patients are dying a day before the ambulance gets to them. Millions of people waiting over two weeks to see a GP. 
and then millions more being forced to pay for operations privately, or if they can't afford that, which lots of us can't, then suffering while they wait. And so we're about to launch a, a big new campaign in the run up to the next election. The message of that campaign will be to say that the private sector cannot be the solution to this current crisis in our NHS. And the reason that the, the private sector can't be a solution is because, firstly, it's failed. We've seen test and trace, 33 billion going into that. It totally failed. Outsourcing. We know now research from Oxford University shows that there have been 557 excess deaths because of decisions to outsource. We know that private hospitals have failed to really dent the waiting lists. And no wonder, because the private sector benefits when more people are waiting. We're moving towards that US style system, which we know doesn't work. But also the private sector will never be the solution because it's not set up to be. So the key messages that we're going to be putting out in this campaign are if it's, it's only the NHS that can take care of you when you're at A&E. It's only the NHS that's going to be providing an ambulance. The private sector doesn't do that. It doesn't do that A&E service. It's, it's the NHS that trains up our doctors and nurses and the private sector just leeches off them. And it's the NHS that will deal with complex cases and pick up the slack when things go wrong. The private sector just cherry picks. So I think we're in this situation right now where you've got both the two main parties saying we have to have choice. You know, we have to have the private sector. And maybe that sounds intuitive to people, but it's actually completely wrong. And I think our job in the run up to the next election is to make it really clear why that's wrong, that the private sector cannot and will not be a solution. And so we have to have serious investment in the NHS and an end to privatisation. And what we're going to be saying to politicians is you need to invest in the NHS, not the private sector, because there is a choice there. You need to be insourcing contracts. Um, and not outsourcing. And you need to reinstate the duty to provide care to everyone in the UK. And that duty was taken away from us in 2012. And that makes it easier for NHS trusts to cut back on services that we need um, and get away with it. And we don't have any recourse as patients. So those are the things we'll be putting to politicians and look out on Monday for our campaign launch on that. Um, Obviously, there's also lots of other campaign groups working on the NHS and the NHS's birthday coming up on the 5th of July. Check out Keep Our NHS Public, uh, Just Treatment. Um, check out all of all of the good NHS groups that are involved. I've got a list of them, actually, where have I got them? Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll come back to that because um, I'm going to whiz on to uh, energy. Um, so energy is another top priority for people right now obviously and we're in this situation where in countries like France as we've just heard they limited energy price rises to four percent while we are paying 60 percent plus on our bills compared to what we were paying a year and a half ago and a big part of that is because we're completely missing a trick with public ownership so we're not taxing the way that Norway does on on our resources we're not generating energy in public ownership the way that the way that countries like Denmark and Norway do around our coast right now. So we're not getting the most out of our offshore wind, etc. 
our whole transmission and distribution network, so the, the, the network that takes the energy across the country, electricity and gas, and then takes it to your home, is in private ownership, except for a little bit of it that even the Conservative government is actually bringing into public ownership. But, but generally speaking, it's in private hands, money's flowing out to shareholders. Um, that's not a normal way to run a monopoly grid. Um, and then we don't have any publicly owned retail options. So you can't choose as a consumer to uh, pay for your energy from a publicly owned provider. And, and none of this has to be this way at all. So, you know, we saw just last week, um, Centrica, their shareholders met to approve their profits, to approve the bonus for the CEO. Centrica owns British Gas. British Gas used to be owned by us. Um, as I'm sure lots of you will know and lots of you will remember, until Margaret Thatcher floated it on the stock market in 1986, um, sold it off. Um, and we haven't benefited from that. We, most people don't have any shares in British Gas. Um, and what we see is our energy prices increasing when we could be doing, again, what other countries are doing, countries like France, Germany, Italy, even the US, having a publicly owned retail option on the table for people. And the evidence shows that prices would be 20 to 30 percent lower in that case. Um, and there's some great TUC research which looks at the cost of taking those, um, the big five energy retail companies into public hands, 2.85 billion. That is a fraction of what the government has spent propping up the system in the energy crisis, which is nearly 30 billion pounds. Um, so it's just crazy not to spend that sort of money to get back an asset that would work for all of us in this country and could be used to cut bills, to insulate homes and make them greener, um, and also to make sure that we're looking after people when they're vulnerable and they can't afford their en energy bills, working out how to take care of those people too, um, rather than just installing prepayment meters and, and making people suffer. Um, so that is another thing where we are absolutely, the public is, is with us, there is an enormous case to answer and we have to keep on making that case. Right now, we have a Labour Party that has promised to deliver great British energy and public ownership. I think that is a big win. So that is about the generation, though. So it's not it's just one aspect of the system. I think it's I think it's really important that we praise them for doing that. We do want that to happen because that will show that public ownership can succeed. It is a starting point. But of course, it's a very far cry from bringing, you know, the whole of the, the, the grid into public ownership and having a retail option on the table, too. And we need to be pushing and pushing for them to go further on that. Um, and then finally, I want to um, highlight another key issue for voters, which is the sewage scandal, um, which, again, is a public ownership issue. So obviously, we all know about this has hugely come to the forefront in, in the last year and a half perhaps um, and great campaigners to check out on this are surfers against sewage uh, the windrush campaign and there is a new campaign that has just been launched um, and we got a bit of press coverage with them the other day um, which is calling on people to boycott their water company um, if sewage isn't being dealt with in their area so uh, it's called boycott water bills um, great new campaign and so the campaigners that we were talking to were focusing on, they're in, they're in the area of Southern Water. Southern Water is talking about increasing bills by 73% in order to deal with the sewage crisis and invest. 
but let's look at the track record of these water companies. So if you look across the board at the English privatised water companies, it's different in Scotland, and I'll come to that. £72 billion has gone out to shareholders um, over the 34 years of privatisation. They've built up a debt mountain of £53 billion. They've increased our bills already by 40% in real terms. And then they've poured sewage into our rivers and seas. It's a terrible track record. Why should we pay more for them to clear up our rivers and our seas? It's just absolutely outrageous. And if you do compare us to Scotland, where they've had public ownership because they wouldn't put up with what we put up with in England, um, they've had 35% more investment. Um, and if we'd invested at that level in England, an extra 28 billion would have gone into the infrastructure. So the case is absolutely crystal clear. That we About need to 30 seconds, Kat. Okay, um, I will pass by rail and buses and Royal Mail, but just to say that there are important cases on all of this. And if you're interested um, in rail, check out Bring Back British Rail. Buses, we are campaigning hard on, on buses uh, in West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, Liverpool. Um, the government is being punished for some of these scandals in the polls right now. Um, there are campaigns happening. And I think the message is really clear now to this government. Actually, if you allow sewage in our rivers and seas, if you put up our bills and make it unlivable for people to, to manage to heat their homes and afford to eat, if you damage our NHS, you will feel the consequence, especially after all of the corruption during COVID. Um, so I think there is everything to play for. Please sign up to We Own It, weownit.org.uk. Um, get involved if you're not already. And uh, thank you again for being here and being here for the solutions. Thank you so much, Kat. And again, apologies to have to kind of wrap you up. Um, and what you said is, is absolutely right. I'm looking forward to uh, this campaign and the private sector. It cannot and will not be the solution to the NHS. And it is not the solution to anything, as you've very, very uh, quickly and eloquently summed up there for us. Richard Bergen, I'm going to come over to you. Nice to see you. Um, Richard, of course, is Secretary of the Socialist Campaign Group of Labour MPs in Parliament. And he's also, you know, really working a way to bring these, help the guys bring these events to you. So thanks for doing that, Richard. Uh, because we are just a tiny bit short on time, I could chat all day to you, but I'm going to pass straight over to you and then hopefully we'll get lots and lots of questions. Great stuff, Laura. Thanks very much. And I'll try and keep in your good books by being relatively quick. Um, it's the deepest crisis in decades. Um, the biggest fall in living standards in 70 years. Wages are being driven backwards. Soaring inflation means energy and food essentials are now unaffordable for many. It's right that the whole of our movement is focused on how do we address this crisis. But to really tackle this crisis, the solutions we offer must address the new realities that we now face. The reality is, I'm afraid, this latest wave of crises is no one-off. It's part of a protracted period of crisis. Our economic model is broken, having stagnated for well over a decade, especially for workers. Wages are now back at 2005 levels. That's approaching 20 years of flatlining, the longest attacks on wages in 200 years. This is almost completely unprecedented. Nobody alive and working in Britain today has ever seen anything like this. And alongside that, the public sector has been gutted through a decade of austerity cuts. On top of these economic issues, 
climate change is increasingly affecting our world, from the price of the food we import to the levels of investment we will need to make, to adapt to and limit climate change. And all that means, I think it's important to stress this, that the next Labour government that we all hope to see soon will not be coming to power as it was in 1997 with strong growth, meaning that it could easily redistribute funds from a booming city of London to public services. And just before I go on to my other points, I do want to say in this context of this uh, attack on living standards uh, and this attack on the value of wages, we need to express our solidarity and our support for all workers and trade unionists fighting back for fair pay and fighting back against real term cuts to pay terms and conditions. It's really important we support people fighting back now. But our solutions need to reflect the depths of this crisis. We can't just assume that growth will return because the Tories are out of the way, hopefully, at the next election. We can't assume wages will rise just because there is growth. This will require an active economic strategy by the government. So I want to look at two key policies that must be, I would argue, at the core of the response to this crisis. Number one, the need for public investment. And number two, wealth taxes. And to finish, I want to briefly look at how we fight inflation in the here and now. But this week, it's been sickening to see in the face of all the evidence, Cameron Osborne claiming that austerity didn't leave the NHS weaker. Austerity left our whole society weaker, in fact, with reversals in life expectancy for many communities, 300,000 excess deaths alone due to austerity, and the eradication of so many vital services that actually hold society together and made life better. Austerity was based on the argument, and people will remember, that the economic crisis meant that we can't afford to invest in the public sector. Now we've got the Tories dusting down this argument again, claiming that Labour's plans for a green prosperity fund aren't affordable, and if Labour borrows to invest, this will crash the economy. I would say that we need to challenge this logic from the Tories head on. We can't give an inch to this. These Tory arguments aren't just socially backwards, they'll actually cause great economic damage. And there's a brilliant report this week from the IPPR showing that Britain has suffered decades of underinvestment, both public and private. We're consistently ranked the lowest of the major economies and we're falling even further behind. We're missing out on new green businesses, jobs and prosperity as a result. They estimate that Britain has a £500 billion investment gap compared with average levels of investment over the past 20 years. That's why we've got worse transport, worse services, worse education in many other countries. We need to be winning the argument that when the government invests, that expands the economy and in turn brings other investment and in turn raises the taxes going to government. Just one example of this. The King's Fund, a leading health think tank, says that the multiplier effect of health spending means that every pound spent on health, £3.60 of income is generated across the economy. As a result of that, more than £1 of tax is paid. So, in that example, state investment ultimately pays for itself. Of course, that's why businesses invest too, because ultimately they get a profit and the same can apply for the public sector. Now, that's just one example. But one thing is pretty universally agreed on is that public spending on investment brings higher returns. And we need a whole lot more of it to rebuild the country, both economically and socially, 
That means an active role for the state. That means state investment in green transition, in new energy, in health and social care, in education and in industries of the future. We can't allow the Tories to again win the argument with the public that borrowing for public investment would somehow bankrupt the country. As long as it's done in a way that stimulates jobs and incomes, it would in fact help to rebuild the economy. And as part of this discussion on public investment, we should of course include the need for greater public ownership. And Katz covered that um, uh, in great detail and uh, all uh, credit to We Own It for the fabulous work uh, they've done on that. Now, of course, borrowing to make these public investments is now more expensive than previously because of the damage Liz Truss's budget caused and due to the ongoing reckless Tory policies that are failing to deal with inflation. And that's one area where wealth taxes come in. It's increasingly clear that a wealth tax has a key role to play in providing the resources needed to invest in our public services and to tackle climate change. We can raise tens of billions of pounds per year, nearly 40 billion by three simple measures to tax wealth more fairly. Number one, an annual tax of 1.5% on wealth above 10 million pounds would raise 17 billion pounds per year. Number two, ending non-DOMS tax avoidance scheme would end, uh, would raise three billion pounds. And number three, equalising capital gains tax with income tax rates would raise 16 billion pounds per year. Uh, so um, in doing this redistribution, we would be redistributing from those who have done very well out of the last period to those who have lost out. Because for some, this isn't a time of crisis, it's a boom time. The Sunday Times Rich List uh, 2023, which you may have seen, revealed that the total wealth of UK billionaires has nearly tripled in the last decade to an eye-watering £684 billion. And it's up £31 billion in the last year alone, when living standards have plummeted for everyone else. Such figures are almost too large, too difficult to imagine. So to put it another way, they've increased their wealth by £120 million every single day for 10 years. £120 million every single day increasing their wealth for 10 years. The soaring wealth of the billionaire class is the flip side of weak wages. As the share of the economy going to workers has gone down, the share going to the super rich has gone up. And we need to be bold in demanding that this is ended. And it's popular. It's popular. A recent YouGov poll showed that three in four people would support the Chancellor introducing a 1% or 2% tax on those with over £10 million in assets in order to invest in our faltering economy and in our faltering public services. This even included over two thirds of Conservative voters. So finally, I want to look at what we should be saying on the left, in my opinion, um, needs to be done in order to fight inflation. Fighting inflation means tackling greedflation. Further interest rate hikes are not the answer. That's only gonna cause misery for millions. It's only gonna risk a wider recession It'll also be ineffective in tackling inflation because inflation is not being caused by the overheating of the economy. Inflation is not being caused by workers having too much money in their pockets. We know that's not the case. Wages can't be causing inflation when real wages are falling. Inflation is increasingly being driven by soaring food prices, soaring energy costs, and by some firms 
greedily hiking prices to boost profits. So instead of further interest rate hikes, we need the government to come forward with a real strategy to tackle inflation, including price caps on core essentials, including not just energy, but food and rents, and windfall taxes on the excess profits of those companies using this crisis as an excuse for profiteering. These are some of the alternative um, economic policies uh, that we can be uh, pushing as a movement, demanding that the government does this. I think it's really important we build the widest possible movement for these policies. They're necessary, they show great popularity with the public, and they're policies which are of sufficient scale to meet the scale of the crisis that our economy and the people who matter, the vast majority of people in this country, face. People need support, people need transformative policies. The Tories don't have the answers, so let's provide the answers ourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Richard. I didn't need to tell you to wind up or anything. So we are definitely still friends. And, um, you know, hats off. I do watch, as everybody will do, the clips in, in Parliament. And I see you time and time again making these points. So uh, thank you for all that you do do in what is a very difficult situation in Parliament. I don't know how you keep your temper so well um so we've got loads of questions thank you and we've got hundreds of you who are still tuning in which is great um so thank you for giving your time this evening i'm trying to like group the questions together into some sort of order but i'll be honest with you we've got so many that i'm losing losing track but i've got some trade union ones that we're going to go with first so we have got i'm going to ask a couple of questions and then if you guys want to come in on that then please just indicate to me um so one question was whilst we've seen a welcome recent upsurge in trade union activity how should the left understand the reasons for the relatively limited opposition and pay restraint in the past decade so I would add on to that. That's come from Ben, I believe. Um, and I would just add on to that. How do we kind of keep that, uh, what was called the summer of solidarity? How do, how do we keep that momentum going and people fighting? Because without doubt, it's, it's, it's been very difficult for many people. Um, I'm also going to throw in there, guys, how are, basically, how are the unions going to respond to, this legislation that's been going through that will restrict um, restrict them further. You know, how do we respond to uh, to the constant threat of legislation that we we currently have? And what are the best examples of the left advancing with political gains for the working class in the post pandemic period? So there's a few just to get us going and then we'll carry on with the discussion. Is there anybody who wants to come in first? Kat, thank you. <laughs> I'll just come in briefly just to say, um, you know, we're campaigning on public transport and we have actually had some wins. And there's a couple of ways that we've won, you know, with with lots of different allies. So um, on buses, we've had some victories. Um, so buses are going to be regulated, so they're going to be under public control in Greater Manchester um, starting in September, I think it is. And that's as a result um, in, in quite a big way from a campaign that we set up, Better Buses for Greater Manchester, which said 
this is the obvious way to run buses, this is how it should be done. Um, and now we're building on that in West Yorkshire and South Yorkshire and Liverpool, together with others like Acorn as well. And I think the reason that we can get those victories is because um, it's campaigning to get mayoral, mayoral regions to use the powers that they have for the benefit of passengers. So that is something that we can be doing, we have been doing even under this government. So, and we can build on it if we do get a Labour government, because actually Labour does have decent bus policies at the moment um, around you know, public control um, and allowing public ownership. This Conservative government actually banned public ownership of buses, new publicly owned bus companies. But, you know, we're making some progress on that. And also on rail, obviously, and I, I want to touch on, you know, the, the question about unions, because I think this government is 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 so disrespectful um, that it allows this situation to continue where we have strikes and the government just is quite happy to let, you know, both passengers and rail workers suffer. And they're quite happy to let both patients and NHS staff suffer. So, you know, that's that's sort of I think that's that's important to highlight. You know, we have to be in solidarity together to say this is not a respectful way to treat our public services. But just quickly to say that on rail, we are getting some victories as well, as I'm sure lots of people will know, because the private companies are failing so badly that many franchises are being brought into public ownership. So we now have this patchwork where Scott Rail, uh, Transport for Wales, um, the railway, railway in Wales, Northern, Southeastern, the East Coast Line, now Caledonian, Sleeper, they're all coming into public hands. Um, of course, we've got st still got plenty privatised, but then we also had TransPennine just recently, a victory on that. So privatisation does fail often and we can push for public ownership. So just a, a bit of a positive thing that we can be doing even under this government. Thanks, Kat. Do uh, Oslo and Richard, Richard go for it? Yeah, I'm happy to come in. Um, the question was raised uh, about what do we do and what can we do about the awful um, anti-trade union legislation, the um, uh, minimum service level standards bill. So I spoke on that uh, in Parliament today and obviously it's appalling in so many ways, including uh, amongst other things, the fact that uh, it will force uh, workers who want to go on strike to uh, cross a picket line or risk being uh, dismissed and of course, it changes the role of trade unions and it requires trade unions who are meant to be independent, who aren't there to do the bidding uh, of the government or the bidding of the bosses. It requires trade unions to, to quote, take reasonable steps to ensure that people who are told to go into work, go into work. So in other words, uh, we could see a situation where trade unions feel obliged to persuade workers to cross a picket line or face a fine of up to a million pounds. It's a real sinister piece of legislation because it changes the role of trade unions uh, completely uh, in our uh, society, in our democracy. So what can we do about it? Firstly, uh, obviously, a Labour government uh, will repeal that legislation when we come to power, uh, and that's important. But what can be done before the general election? Something that could be done, and I think that the Welsh Labour governments, uh, if I remember correctly, said this already, is that they wouldn't use this bill if it comes into law uh, to uh, sack uh, workers uh, who um, don't comply with work notices. And so I think that local authorities that are run by Labour, uh, regional governments, I think it'd be good to get as many uh, of um, uh, these organisations to agree with the trade unions that even in the event of this legislation being passed, you won't use it to uh, sack workers or pursue trade unions 
uh, in dispute uh, in that way. I think that's really important. And of course, unions can strike deals with private sector employers uh, on that basis as well, for example, in transport. And some employers have even said that they don't want this legislation passing because they think it will lead to worse, not better, industrial relations. Uh, in terms of what's the best thing that's happened here in this country um, since the pandemic in terms of the left, I think obviously the upsurge in trade union activity uh, has been incredibly uh, important and I think it's, it's really inspiring. I think we do need to, whenever we can, link the industrial and the political struggles together. I think the expansion in public support for progressive policies on a wealth tax, on public ownership, you know, that's due to campaigns like uh, We Own It. And so let's try um, to build the connection between the trade union uh, movement that's fighting back, uh, between uh, the um, campaigns uh, and social movements uh, and uh, left and pro-trade union Labour MPs in Parliament to push these policies and put as much pressure uh, on the Tory government as possible. I think we can gain further victories, as Kat has said, uh, by doing that. Thank you, Richard. Um, and uh, do you have anything to add, Oslem? I think one thing to say is there has been a lot of wins in this past year. If I look at the number of disputes United Union has won, um, certainly I, I, I see fighting unions uh, are making a difference. Um, I mean, nurses were out for strike, uh, Royal College of Nurses for the first time. And in environments where the government was pushing for division within the society, actually the users were uh, supportive of the strikers, much more so than in the previous rounds, I think. You would always hear this or that uh, mainstream media uh, journalist looking for someone to complain about a rail strike or uh, a strike in the hospitals. But actually, we were seeing a lot of, in the polls, support, a lot of narratives of support. Uh, linking the struggles is, I think, the key. Uh, I'm very happy uh, to, to, to see the Labour Party position uh, about that. But coming back to Unite, I think um, it, it is really a, a Labour Party now has to do a lot to convince the unions back that it is the party of the Labour movement. So repealing is, of course, very important. Uh, we were not comfortable when we uh, heard the things around uh, not turning up at the picket lines. Of course, that led to, I suppose, the backlash. Now I'm uh, speaking uh, very direct honest among friends that one of our largest and strongest unions like Unite, a little bit distancing itself from trying to influence policy, in particular, uh, Labour Party's um, you know, manifesto process. Uh, I think it's a loss. I'm very much hoping that uh, this, this close link between the trade union movement and the party uh, will be uh, reinstated and improved. You know, of course, I'm looking at uh, our socialist MPs like Richard here um, to make sure that that uh, sort of 
ties will be strengthened again. Um, so it is not just, I mean, I say that to the trade unions as well. Uh, they have a role to play in influencing the big policies, macro policies. They shouldn't see it as, oh, it's only the workplace battles that we can win. And it's um, our limit and Labour Party isn't listening to us. So it is important, yes, yes, to be at the conference. Yes, to have influence in policymaking process at all levels. Uh, but we have to do from within the party itself also to win over the trade union movement. Again, I mean, I'm speaking with my both hands as a union member, but also a party member. And I'm unhappy about the unhappy relationship we are having at the moment. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I completely agree. The political and the industrial has to go together and um, we, we have to be fighting together. So just quickly, we've had uh, loads of people have been mentioning about wealth taxation. One person who did that was Kieran. Uh, we've got universal basic income coming up um, and Wanda talks about a version that's being trialled in Wales right now. And spoken about the four day working week. Um, so I'd be interested if anybody has any kind of thoughts on that in a second. But I'm also just going to put a last couple of questions to you. So, oh, I like this one. What sort of policy can we have to address the bank's greed and how they can get away with so much, including with regards to the mortgage crisis um, that will be very real to so many people and on that I would also just like to speak out about the absolute hell that renters are facing um, currently and have been for such a long time and then we also have had a very good question wow it's taking me back to the 2019 general election uh Kerala in India is giving free broadband to lots of the poorest people should we revisit our free public broadband for all policy um and on that i'd like to just tag on something that i did read i can't remember who put it but just and i know that lots of you 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 guys are already doing this but just some firm actions for people about how we can bring people together again around these policies that will change our economy that are sensible uh, so that we can be proud and bold of of uh, the views that we we have so who wants to kick off and then we will wrap up uh so thanks everybody for staying with us uh go on then i'll sort of start with you this time yes thanks so much i mean these are all very dear to my heart uh short working week uh this is the only way to actually make sure that workers benefit from technological change and increasing productivity and uh, the pace of shortening of the working peak has dramatically slowed down since the uh, 1980s. But compared to the 19th century, we are all working part time today. Uh, So historically, working peak has shortened substantially. So certainly there is enough scope uh, for a four day work week or substantially lower working hours per week, however it's convenient to organize. Um, And uh, this is also one way of uh, reconciling full employment with climate change. So there's a lot of uh, things linking shorter working week with a more greener way of living and uh, lower emissions. Uh, So it's equitable, it's green, uh, and it is a way of making sure that uh, we all have 
decent jobs without burning out. Um, on the universal basic income, I think I want us to really ask questions like, what do we need to fund? Do we want universal basic services in health, social care, childcare, education? Well, yes, I do want. Do we want more investment in social housing, in public transport, renewable energy, uh, upgrading our grid, insulating our homes, energy efficiency? Well, yes, we do want. Um, once you add these numbers down and once you have universal basic services in the sense that there's in-kind provision of a lot of the things we need, I would on top of it a job guarantee scheme as social policy. Uh, there are a lot of jobs that need to be done and they have to be good jobs. Um, and everyone should have a guarantee to have a job uh, matching their uh, skills and their geographic availability, and so on. So, and then you have to think how we fund it. It's a lot of spending. It is to be big and urgent. Um, do we want to also give a non-means tested universal basic income on top of it? Will we need it? I want to ask these questions. And how big that can? Uh, 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 how big can it be? Uh, and then how will we pay for it? There is a limit to how much we can borrow. I'm not going to put a fiscal credibility rule out there. And we will only know it when we test it. If a progressive Labour Party starts investing correspondence to our needs, we will test uh, the market's intentions, financial markets, international financial markets intentions. So we should rely on not just borrowing, but taxation. And there is a limit to how quick and how much you can do these as well. There is a limit to the good old multiplier. So uh, universal basic income doesn't come on top of my priority. Uh, if we could afford it, uh, I wouldn't be against it. Why would anyone be? But I also think it's not the most effective policy tool uh, to give uh, the top 1%, the top 10%, and the bottom 50% of the population the same universal basic income. Um, it won't be a, a whole lot. So it's a little bit like a token or a symbolic thing, whereas universal basic services isn't. I also don't want to take the money and then shop around in the private sector to find uh, whatever adequate provision of the child care. I want a publicly provided child care service, you know, uh, certainly quality controlled by public authorities Absolutely. as well as workers and users. Uh, mortgage crisis I had a note in my slide saying we need to think of linking payments to income and absolutely ban evictions, but also in that case uh, of mortgages uh, repossessions. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, the, the deal with the mortgage crisis is actually going through dealing with the wage loss uh, or, yeah. or the decline in real wages. That's where the real solution will come from. But in the short run, absolutely, we need to think about uh, linking managing payments with respect to income, uh, and and I agree uh, that the banks shouldn't be profiting from that. Well, tax. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. I'm gonna okay. have to be yeah. so okay. My proposal is progressive tax targeting to top one percent, uh, but it's for another day. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, uh, Richard. Can I'll come to you really quickly, and then we need to start winding up. Yeah, just uh, quickly on the question that was asked about uh, banks and. Uh, mortgages and the rest of it. Um, the banks are making excess profits by not passing on uh, rates to savers. So we could tax those profits. I think that would be 
uh, one helpful practical step uh, that we could uh, take. Absolutely. Kat? Yeah, I mean, really agree with what Oslam is saying. Sorry if I said your name wrong. You know, people are in this situation now where they maybe can't afford their rent they can't, or they can't afford their mortgage. But then on top of that, I think we really can't underestimate the effect that this austerity of the last 13 years has had in all these different ways. It's kind of death by a thousand cuts, you know, sometimes literally. This government has really downgraded our whole country and everything that we get to have. You know, so it's like it, it's all the little things as well as the big things, the things that aren't so little, like, you know, like your post doesn't arrive anymore or, you know, they don't want to do a Saturday delivery or you're paying more for your stamps. Like, you know, your your obviously your energy bill has gone up. They're pouring sewage into your rivers and seas. You're on an NHS waiting list. You know, your your library might be closed. Your park might be closed because of the huge cuts that have been made to council budgets as well as you know the drastic cuts to the NHS um, and public services in general. And so I think you know, to get to a point where we're a country that can deliver any kind of quality of life for the vast majority of people again, we have to have a Labour Party that is prepared to say, we need to invest in public services. You know, we really need to invest seriously in public services. We can't go along with this narrative anymore that, that you know, investment isn't sensible. It is the only sensible way to take us out of the situation that we're in. And we have to have a Labour Party that will reverse the cuts of the last 13 years and actually invest in our public services, or we won't get the kind of public services and quality of life and affordability that people need. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that was an excellent discussion. Thank you so much to um, our guests, to Richard, to Oslam and to Kat. I hope that all of you who have joined us have in, enjoyed listening to the discussion, have got something out of it, a feeling a bit inspired, a feeling like joining, um, joining a rise, definitely, but also all of these fantastic campaigns. And our key message from today is that to all those people who are fighting at the moment, if your struggle is at home, if it's in the workplace, if it's in your education, uh, in towns and cities and all across the UK, we stand with you um, and together we can demand change. I firmly, firmly believe that we just need to take that fight to the Tories and we need to use every single platform that we can, including this one, to grow and to make people feel empowered and that things can be different because they definitely, definitely can. Uh, thank you to everybody um, who has participated, be it on online, on the Q&As, etc. Sorry that, as always, we only get to do a small handful of the questions. Thanks to Patrick and all of the volunteer team. And I've made it in my diary. So next Wednesday, I will be on this fabulous online rally. And look, take, take on board all those action links. Don't just see them posted there. Have a look at them. Donate if you can. Share, share, share. We need to build the resistance to the Tories and we need to make sure that our popular policies are not silenced and we can do that together. So solidarity and good night. <laughs>